Welcome into the install with Greg Cosell of NFL Films. I'm your host, Buck Rising, here to get smarter with the rest of you guys as Greg kind of takes us through the ins and outs, the nuances of your favorite teams around the league and your favorite players. We're going to be talking a lot today about one player in particular and then kind of the differences between preseason and regular season, what we can learn from it, and probably more importantly, what we can't. What's going on, Greg? Buck, what's going on? Uh, you know, just uh, just trying to get through the preseason so we can stop having overreactions about what what they look like on third down or who's going to start over whom and Andy Dalton and Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence, all of these things that keep swirling around the league. I'm just ready to get the football. Real football. Well, amazing, amazingly enough, Trevor Lawrence is going to start. Shocking. Well, listen, that seemed to surprise everybody but Urban Meyer because he's been splitting <laughs> reps with Gardner Minshew all camp. It drives me crazy, Greg. Yeah, I think we kind of knew he was going to start the night he was drafted. Yeah, one would assume, but like I, there's just so Greg. I guess I mean you, you know, you spend a lot of time around coaches and and teams, so I know you look at this stuff a lot differently than we do. But it's so early with the Jags, and we don't know what they're going to look like entirely on the field just yet. But what do you kind of make of this whole experiment so far with Urban Meyer? Oh, I have no way to really judge that whatsoever. Yeah, um, yeah it's 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 preseason. If you just look at their roster, and again, because I've been doing this for a while, looking at the NFL and and seeing teams play and watching tape for a long, long time, they're not a very good roster. So it's it's not likely to be a good team. And I was actually talking to a quarterback coach this summer who who said that he had his analytics group for his team do a study. And this this is not profound, but yet it's true. And that the number one predictor of rookie quarterback success in the NFL is the overall quality of the team, not the individual player. And when you think about it, that's just intuitive. It makes good sense. Um, Now, most people would say that if you go to a bad team, uh, but there's degrees of bad team as well, as we know. So the Jaguars roster is just not very good. And they lost Travis Etienne, unfortunately, for the season. And and if they can't run the ball at all, they're going to have a problem. And we talked about it early on when we started talking about the Jags and Trevor Lawrence, how important it is to kind of ease them into this. And that would seem to be their trajectory with the kind of running game that they had last year and the personnel that they're carrying over into this year with with today's today's show, Greg, I, I know we're going to talk a lot about Elijah Molden. But I want to start with how you're how you're kind of processing information right now based on or different from the rest of us who are consuming preseason football. And I think that's a really important place to start for the audience because they're they're overreacting the same way that media types like me are overreacting. And I think it's kind of a this is a great space to be able to suss out that kind of stuff. Well, You've probably had this conversation, I would assume, maybe with some coaches. But if you talk to coaches, and even the way the game is coached, when you watch teams prepare, think about how how the game is coached. What's the first thing coaches talk about? Situational football. You have to win third down. You have to win in the red zone. You have to do well on first down. Situational football does not exist in any kind of meaningful sense in the preseason. Right. So therefore the game as it is played in the regular season is not at all the game that's played in the preseason. So when we see certain players perform, whether it's well or poorly, obviously let's focus on ones who perform well, 
if they're simply showing the traits that we know they have based on their college tape, that shouldn't be news to anyone because we know from their college tape and an evaluation of their traits and their attributes and their characteristics, Buck, that they possess those traits. So when we see Zach Wilson, for instance, be forced out of the pocket in this past game against the Packers and make a throw on the run, that's not an oh my God play. We know he has that trait. When we see Justin Fields the week before in his first preseason game move around and show mobility, that's not a a wow. We know he has that trait. So this is why it's very difficult to evaluate, particularly quarterbacks, but it's true for many other positions as well. It's very hard to make definitive statements and judgments about quarterbacks based on the preseason because the game is not played situationally in the preseason. And that's the way the game is played in the regular season. So Greg, I mean, you've, you've been doing this a long enough time. Has there ever been, has there ever been a time where the preseason held more value than we're attributing to it now? Has there ever been a time when there has been situational football of consequence, understanding that I guess it can't be of consequence if the games don't count, but has there ever been more meaning to preseason than ultimately the game we see in front of us right now? Well, I think in the past, when there were four preseason games, and we don't know if that will ever be the case again, I would doubt it. Um, I think some teams, not all, some teams did – use the third preseason game to play their their true starters for at least a half into the third quarter at times. And they did marginal game planning, not the same kind of game planning they would do during the season, but marginal game planning just to give the quarterback and everyone else a sense of how you go about preparing and attacking a defense you're playing against. Defense, I imagine, might have done the same thing if they were going to play defensive players for a half or into the third quarter just to give them a sense of hey when we do get to third down these are the kinds of calls we might make in a given down and distance situation but overall now I don't think that happens at all and I think last year unfortunately with COVID um, and teams not playing any preseason games and then the season started and quite honestly we had pretty much I'm talking about the game on the field now. I don't right. want people to think I'm I'm not being sensitive to COVID, but I'm talking about the game on the field. We pretty much had a regular, regular season. Right. So I think there's a sense that you really don't need to play a lot of players. You really don't need to game plan a whole lot. And here's another factor that I that I've heard this from coaches. Having practices against other teams is happening more and more now, Buck. And Coaches are finding that much more valuable because it's a much more controlled environment. As you know, you've seen it. You were just with the Titans down in Tampa, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And so, I and mean, it's infinitely more, more valuable. It's much more controlled. As a coach, you can set up exactly what you want to do. So you don't have the flow of a game necessarily. You know, you can stop it and do certain things. You can't do that during a game. Yeah. So that has much more value to a, to a team and a coach than playing the actual game does. Well, and when we talked to Vrabel about it last week, he, he expects expressed that same sentiment because on top of that, the film that those two teams put on tape during practice is embargoed. So it can't be shared 
around the right. league so you can do more stuff that's not on that being broadcast on national television right. for everybody right. to start to pick yeah, you apart. That, that tape's not available to me, for instance, yet all the coaching tape of any preseason game is available to me. <laughs> so, right. So it's, it's, uh, I think people have to understand that when you see players in the preseason, you're still seeing traits and attributes. You're not seeing the game as it's actually played once the regular season starts. And I think that's a meaningful delineation. Certainly. And, and, you know, you always, people who are surprised by what they're seeing by these players from a trait standpoint right now, just haven't studied them the way coming out of college that so many NFL analysts and film analysts have. So from that standpoint, Greg, if, if we're just talking to the, you know, Joe football fan who's trying to watch a preseason game like Greg Cosell watches tape, what should he be focused on first and foremost if this is kind of something he's he's trying to take something out of the preseason, he or she trying to take something out of the preseason moving forward and not get, you know, in football cliche, too high or too low? Yeah, I think obviously you, you much prefer to see, when you're a fan of a team, you much prefer to see the players and the team play well as opposed, as opposed to play poorly. Right. But I think you have to understand what that ultimately means. To me, I, I think that the preseason is just about execution of what you're asked to execute, almost in a vacuum. So in other words, when, when you see a quarterback, a rookie quarterback go out there and he's asked to run these 10 plays because he's not going to be asked to run the full gamut of plays that are specific to an opponent. So you just want to see him execute the plays. I'll give you an example. Um, the last game that the Patriots played, I understand, by the way, he's having a very good week this week because Cam Newton's not there. Yeah. But Mac Jones, when he played against the Eagles uh, in their last preseason game, the Eagles played literally a soft zone shell on every single play, and they rushed four, and they played none of their regulars. So for the most part, they got no one near Mac Jones. Now, he looked really, really good. It was essentially seven on seven. It was him dropping back and just throwing to voids and zones. Did he do a couple of really good things? Yes, he did. But you can't, and by the way, I like Mac Jones, and, and I hope he may, I hope all five of these first year, these first round pick quarterbacks makes it better for the league. Yeah. But other than the fact that he executed well in that given game, which you'd much prefer to see, like I said, than him execute poorly, you can't extrapolate that to if he is the starter week one, and I believe they play Miami, which is heavy pressure and heavy man coverage, you can't extrapolate that to how he may or may not look week one. He may look great. We don't know, but you can't make a definitive judgment is my point. And and I think, especially with, we've talked about these five first round quarterbacks last week, but particularly with the contingent that's advocating right now for Justin Fields, for example, over Andy Dalton and basing it off of preseason analysis, which is we've just gone over, is deeply flawed. I think that's the thing that people most misunderstand when they're looking at Andy Dalton and understanding Andy Dalton's body of work and saying, well, why not? Why can't Justin Fields do all of these things in the regular season if he's doing them now in the preseason? And it's funny you say that because everybody saw the play in which Justin Fields just got hammered, right? Yeah. Okay. So think of it this way. We don't know 
it's easy to say, well, Justin Fields blew that. We don't know that. That was what we call an empty pass protection, meaning there were only five offensive linemen who blocked on the play. Because even though the back was initially offset in the backfield, he, he what we call free released. So he was not part of the protection, okay? And it turned out that the player who came and hit him got in clean from Fields' right, okay? The offensive line actually slid to the left. Yeah, The back, as I said, free released. I certainly don't know, and neither does any, well, some people know, the coaches staff know, and maybe some others know, but I couldn't sit there and say with 100% certainty, maybe the center slid the wrong way. Maybe the back shouldn't have free released. I don't know that, you know, but it looks bad for Justin Fields. It looks like, oh my God, he had no idea what was going on because clearly when he dropped back, that free rusher was not even in his thought process whatsoever, but we don't know the answer to those questions. Somebody does. I don't. And certainly the guy sitting at home doesn't. You're breaking a lot of hearts, Greg, here in Tennessee. They're all <laughs> fired up about their, their four on third down. They think all their problems are fixed from a year ago. They, they haven't allowed a touchdown. You're stabbing people in the chest, Greg. You really are. <laughs> well, it's funny. You mentioned, you know, the, the Bears, because look, Andy Dalton did not play well last year. The tape right. told him that he did not have a good year. But the style of player he is, he's not necessarily a guy that's going to play well in short spurts because he's not spectacular. Andy Dalton, if if he were to play at a higher level, as he has at times throughout his career, he was a solid NFL quarterback for a lot of years in Cincinnati. If he's to regain that style and, and that quality of play, he's a four-quarter quarterback. He has to play the game. He's not going to make the one play where you go, oh, my God, he's got to be out there. You know, that's not the kind of quarterback he is. Yeah, no. So social media does those guys such an injustice with the way that they highlight individual plays, the way that individual plays are highlighted, and then the expectation becomes, well, why can't my quarterback do that? Just because exactly quarterbacks exactly. play in rhythm. That's not how right. this thing works. Right. We all and by know. the way, by the way, the other factor is coaches when it gets to the regular season on both sides of the ball. By the way, they coach a game to play four quarters. Yeah. They don't coach a game to play four individual plays. So it, it's it just the game is totally different in the way it's prepared and the way it's coached. Yeah. And then, and therefore the way it's played. So let's, let's look at one of these, at least a local case study on, on this, uh, you know, hyper, hyper, uh, what do you want to call it? Exuberance about a player who's making plays for the Titans defense in his debut, Elijah Molden. Now, I'm going to tweet this out for people on social media that want to look inside the mind of Greg Cosell to kind of see how Greg goes through his uh, college prospect analysis because I have Elijah Molden's sheet here in front of me. Greg, I, we, we've, we've covered all the bases in terms of how to differentiate, differentiate between watching these guys in the preseason and watching these guys in the regular season, but there's no question that he was incredibly active and displayed some of these traits that you've outlined in your sheet pre, uh, pre-NFL draft. So with Elijah Molden, I guess just from a 1,000-foot view, what did you make of him in, an, in his initial play against the Bucks on Saturday? Oh, I mean, again, I thought Molden showed, and we'll get to, to my evaluation of him in a second, yeah. but I thought Molden played in many ways the same way he played in college he plays fast he sees things you know people like to use the word instincts instincts result 
from your ability to see and process what you see instantaneously. That doesn't just happen. People don't just run out on a field, run around and run into good plays. You have a sense of what you're seeing, how to react to it, and, and then you react. It seems like you're reacting instantaneously, which you are. You know, the first example of that was when he shot the gap and made the stop on, on Gio Bernard on fourth and one in the first quarter. And you saw the explosive downhill quickness. He is a sudden downhill mover. Um, and the thing that stood out watching the entire game was he was featured as a blitzer from the slot. And he's a very good blitzer from the slot because he does have downhill explosiveness. So that's something if he's to be the slot that I think you will see because He's very, very good at that. Um, then the, the other play, which was really his play, was the Gethers interception. That was third and seven in the fourth quarter. Um, and they played the Titans, that is, played what we call two-man coverage, Buck. And what that means is it's man-to-man across the board with two deep safeties. And, of course, Molden was in the slot. And when you play that particular coverage, because you know you have a safety over the top of you, what you can do is is it technique we call tailgating or undercutting. You can almost let the receiver get on top of you because you know that you have a safety there. So what Molden did was he tailgated Mickens and he took away the throwing lane for the quarterback. Yeah. And I think didn't the ball bounce off his helmet? Yeah, it, it looked like yeah. it was an accidental pass breakup based from on yeah. our angle in the press box. But the point is, is the way in which he played it. Trask actually th- should have thrown it away from Molden but he didn't. It would have required a precise ball location throw, and, and Trask could not do that. But the point I'm making is Molden played the technique properly because in that two-man uh, coverage concept, you can tailgate um, for undercut routes, and he did that. And then obviously everybody saw a thousand times his sack, which came on actually what we call a four-man zone exchange. He was a, a pass rusher, but they only rushed So he was the fourth and they played zone behind it. So when that happens, we call that a zone exchange as opposed to a blitz because they ended up only rushing four. Um, And everybody saw him get really low, which is not that hard for him to do since he's what, five, nine or five, ten, five, nine and change. (laughs) Yeah. And he got underneath both the right guard and right tackle. And then he kind of hand crawled, you know, like a baby just starting to crawl. He hand crawled and then but you saw just the sudden quickness in the way in which he moves because he got right back to his feet and, and got to Trask. But you saw a lot of the things, quite honestly, that you saw when you watched him play at, at the University of Washington. And I watched his tape for both 2019 and 2020. And, you know, you're more than welcome because uh, I feel like I'm talking a lot here, but you're more than welcome to to talk a little bit about what I wrote in my transition because I think that kind of plays to what he did in that game. Well, and certainly, and I want to get to that here in just a second, but I want to go back to the zone exchange concept that you're talking about. Greg, that's that's something that reminded me the way that they were deploying him, understanding that it was pretty basic, the way that Dean Pease used to utilize Logan Ryan and players like that. Is that something that is a common theme from a Dean Pease defense? And I know Dean's not the only one exclusively that uses this, but am I I right in that kind of analysis? Well, I mean, that's something that a lot of coaches do. Dean definitely does it because he's a believer that he wants to be in a situation where the offense thinks that, you know, any one or two or three or four or five or six of the 11 defensive players could come on any given play. 
you know, Dean was, is a believer in that. Not every coach believes in that kind of pressure, but Dean Pease certainly believes that. And he wants, he wants the offense to believe that. But the key thing you're trying to do as well when you pressure, because you have to remember, the more you pressure with, the less you have in coverage. So it's a numbers game. You'd love to be able to pressure with four. And in the old days, four meant just your four down linemen. The game has evolved and expanded defensively now, Buck, to where four does not just mean your four down linemen. Right. Four could mean two down linemen, a linebacker, and, and a DB. It, and that's what we call a zone exchange because you normally play zone behind it, but now you don't have to because if you rush four, you can still play man. It just depends on how you want to map that out. Defensive coordinators have become, you know, very, very much better over the years, just like offensive minds have, because the game constantly evolves uh, into something new. That's the fun of, of football is that there's new ideas all the time and you have to stay up on them. But this is something that someone like Elijah Molden, assuming he's the slot corner, and I think I mentioned a number of weeks ago that I thought he would end up being the slot corner because I think he'd be really good at it. Yeah. I think he gives you that. He gives you the ability to pressure. And sometimes it can be part of a five-man pressure. Um, a very common pressure is something we call a Mike star blitz where you bring the Mike linebacker and the slot that's called a Mike star blitz. And that's part of a five-man rush, or you can do what they did on that play where he blitzed and it was part of a four-man rush, and it gives you more options in coverage because you still have seven defenders to play in coverage. Yeah, and that's been one of the biggest questions here in Tennessee, just because of Fulton having Christian Fulton having played the slot last year. If Farley was to come back out on the field and be an outside corner, there was a presumption that that would be Fulton in the slot. And based on his skill set, based on what we've seen on the tape, that doesn't necessarily make him bet a better player in the slot than Elijah Molden. But I want to get to the transition, as you mentioned, because I know was, we moved times around on Greg today, so I know he's got to get out of here. But with your with with your scout, your analysis here, Greg, you wrote that he's a fascinating projection uh, as a slot quarter and with his experience at safety, his sudden his sudden explosiveness, as we talked about. But you you go further on in the analysis and and discuss how his lack of size and length aren't necessarily a limitation in the league based on his style of play. And I'm wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Well, there are slot corners in this league who've been very good slot corners for a number of years. And um, Mike Hilton, who was with the Steelers and now is with the Cincinnati Bengals. Kenny Moore, who's in your division with the um, Colts, is a slot corner uh in their, in their nickel, and he's very good, and he's not big either. You don't need to be long in order to be a slot corner. Um, I mentioned in my transition that he can match up man-to-man in the slot. He can play press, both with mirror match technique and physical jam technique, because this kid is competitive and feisty, yeah. and he can play underneath zone. And the other parts of the slot corner paradigm – that are critical is you must be able to defend the run because keep in mind, a lot of teams line up with three wide receivers on first and 10 and run the ball. And yeah. very often they like to run to the side of the slot because they figure he's not as good a run defender. So you have to be able to defend the run and you have to be able to blitz and Molden can do both of those. So he checks all the boxes that are necessary and needed to play slot corner in the national football league. It's going to be it's going to be important part of this defense, given all of the things that they like to do and how many different pieces they have to play in this secondary. I want to make one other point about Molden, because this is very important for defensive players is 
he plays with an attitude. He plays with a swagger. He plays with a competitiveness yeah. that sets a tone. And I think that's really important for a defensive player. He's got high, high level competitiveness. He's a little different kind of player than Buda Baker. And they both came from the University of Washington, but they play with the same kind of nonstop competitiveness. And there's a swagger there. And for a defense, that's really important. And that sets a tone. And you can just see it in the way he plays. You see it immediately. This is not a function of X and O traits. Yeah. This is just this is in his DNA. My guess is he's played like this since he first put on helmet and shoulder pads. Yeah. And something something I mean that they have to bring themselves organically. It's a big part of what makes Jack Rabbit Jenkins good in this defense. Jeffrey Simmons carries himself with that same way. It's been it's really cool to see it kind of evolve on the just simply on the practice field, because I can tell you, Greg, this was not a confident group a year ago. <laughs> No, no. And, and as you well know, they were the worst in the league on third down. They gave up almost 52% conversions on third down. You know, they score a lot of points, the Titans. They scored almost 31 a game last year. And obviously they made the playoffs and over, I mean, obviously any coach will tell you the season's not a success unless you're in the Super Bowl. But overall, it's not like they had a bad season, but it's really hard to be consistently successful if you can't get offenses off the field on third down. Yeah. Uh, Greg Cosell of NFL Films, always generous with his time. That'll do it for us this week on the install. Make Greg happy. Leave a nice review on Apple Podcasts. <laughs> he's, 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 we talked about it last week. Greg's like a Lyft driver. You just got to do the right thing and leave him a good review for all there of his go. great work. Greg, it's always a pleasure to catch up, my brother. I look forward to doing it again next week. Thanks, Buck. Appreciate it.